remembering God's gracious provisions in the past produces stronger faith and grateful hearts in the present. Let us pray. Father, our whole service this morning thus far has been directed to seeing and remembering who you are and all that you have done that we might even more give thanks. Oh, Father, you call us to be thankful. We've sung of it, we've read about it, and now we'll consider Psalm 95 in relation to it. And Father, I pray that indeed we, we would be those who remember and because of that believe more and are more grateful for all that you have done. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now God's word, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Forty years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. A pastor colleague and I met recently, and our conversation began recounting how God had worked in incredible ways during our seminary years. My friend said that he and his wife uh, set out to seminary, they got there, and during their first semester at some point, they, they realized that they simply did not have enough money to stay in seminary. And so they decided to quit and go home. The next day he got a summons from the seminary president, which generally is not a good sign. And he went into his office and the seminary president said, you have been awarded a very special scholarship that will pay all of your tuition. I recounted how God blessed Renee and me during our seminary days. The church that we attended in Knoxville, Cedar Springs Presbyterian, paid for the bulk of my seminary education. And so my pastor friend and I sat there recounting God's faithful, gracious provisions for us. It resulted in a greater confidence in God. 
it resulted in our hearts overflowing with gratitude for God. Today we'll explore this dynamic of remembering the past that we would believe more today with our hearts overflowing with gratitude. The Lord, the past, and the response are the outline to guide us this morning. I've switched points one and two, just be advised. First, remember the Lord, the psalmist tells us. Remember his person, who he is, his work, the marvelous things that he has done. Remembering the Lord is the, is the foundation for a life of faith and a life of gratitude to God. Question, is God trustworthy? Can we trust God to provide for our needs? I have an 18-foot ladder stand on which I hunt. Every time I begin to climb it, I remember yesterday I climbed it and it kept me safe as I climbed and as, and as I sat hoping to see a deer. It has proven to hold me and to keep me safe. Remembering the past, even yesterday, gives me confidence in the present. Now, ladder stands become weak, they rust, they require maintenance, they have a tendency to fail, but God never does. He is faithful to provide. We can trust him. And David, the psalmist, answers the question, can we trust God to provide for us. He, he answers the question in an incredible way because he details for us who God is, his person, and what God has done, his marvelous works that he has done on behalf of his people. Yahweh, he is the Lord. Look at verses 1, 3, and 6. In your English Bibles, you'll see Lord in small caps. And that's an indication that Lord translates the Hebrew Yahweh. Yahweh in Exodus 3.14 is that name that God gave himself. I am who I am. Yahweh means the Lord is eternal. He is self-existent. He is immutable. He is the creator and sustainer of all. He is Israel's personant, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Redeemer. Verse 1, he is the rock of our salvation, our Redeemer. We confidently rest on our, our eternal destiny on him and with him. We can trust him for our eternal life. Psalm 62, 7, O oh God, rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. On God rests my salvation. 
In Exodus 17, 6, as we'll look at in just a moment, God provided water from the rock to sustain his people. And this rock is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the life-giving, living water, the rock of our salvation. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, Paul refers to this very episode in Israel's history. He refers to this rock from which God brought water to sustain his people, but he relates it to Jesus. Paul says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. The Lord is our faithful and true Redeemer, and those who drink from him will be saved. Transcendent creator. In uh, verse 3, God, uh, great, uh, he is great God and great king above all gods. He is transcendent. God is above, beyond, outside of, not a part of creation. He is over creation. He is over all. David describes him as above all gods, over the spiritual realm, over those false gods and the people who fashion them. You can look also at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. He is the great God and King, verse 3. He's above all earthly kings. See also Daniel chapter 4. The Lord is the creator of all. He is so great that he can hold the depths of the earth in his hand, verse 4. This shows his ownership of all. He owns the mountains. He owns the seas, verses 4 and 5. They're all his. The psalmist describes God as the one who possesses the whole earth from the tallest peak to the very the most bottom of the sea that man can find, the depths of the sea, everything is his, and everything in between the heights and the depths are his. And why? Verse 5, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Jeremiah 32, 7 refers to this. The Lord is a transcendent creator of all. He owns all, David says. And shepherd, he is our God and we are his sheep, says the psalmist. David shows that, that the, the Lord's eminence in referring to him as, as our shepherd. God's eminence is best understood as God being with his people. Yes, he is transcendent above and beyond all, but he is eminent. He is with us, with his people. It shows his personal character. It shows that he has a relationship with his people. You see this in verses 6 and 7. David tells us God is our maker. And David is not referring to God as creator here. What he's referring to is what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, that from all the peoples of, in, throughout the entire world, God chose one people, Israel, to be his. And that's what David is referring to here. He is our God. We are his people, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We read this similarly in Psalm 100 and verse 3. This beautiful shepherd sheep imagery is, is 
continue throughout Scripture. We often think of Psalm 23, another psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We consider John chapter 10, verses 11 and 16. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. What the psalmist wants us to remember about God is that he is Yahweh. He is our covenant God. He is our redeemer. Uh, He is transcendent. He is the creator. And he is our shepherd. He is the one who watches over us. He is the one who protects us. He provides for us. He nourishes us. He disciplines us. He guides us. He loves us. The shepherd knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. They listen to his voice, and they trust him. They follow him. John 10, 3, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Look to Psalm 95 and to verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, says David. I want to ask you that question. Do you hear his voice? How do we hear the voice of the shepherd? Is it some audible, mystical experience? The shepherd has spoken to us. He has spoken to us about himself. He has spoken to us about us, his sheep. He has spoken to us about his redeeming work his salvation, he has spoken to us. We are to listen in reading his word. Today, if you hear his voice, we could say, today, if you read his word, listen to it. Trust what the word says about the shepherd. Trust what the Lord Lord says about you, the sheep. Trust him to provide, to guide, to love. Don't harden your heart. Often when I set out to, even to read an article, to read a book, to listen to a podcast, to attend a seminar, I want to know about the author, the presenter beforehand. What have they achieved? What are their credentials? What is their experience? What is their expertise? Do they know what they're talking about? I want to be able to listen to them and to, tr- and to trust them at a very significant level. And I would commend to you that when we hear David say, today, if you hear his voice that is pointing us to the scripture, to read it, to hear what God says of himself in scripture that we might have confidence in who he is and in what he has done.
if we give time to prepare to listen to a guy giving a seminar, how much more should we prepare by listening to God in his word who tells us about himself and tells us about us and tells us about his salvation, that we would have confidence in him, that we would remember who he is, and that it would impact how we live today. Our God, our shepherd, has revealed himself in his word. Hear his voice in the Bible. This dynamic that the psalmist is talking about here really shows us the relationship between remembering who God is as revealed in Scripture and our faith and gratitude. The more we know of God, the deeper our faith the more overflowing our gratitude. Remembering the Lord and believing in the Lord, his person and work as given in scripture is the foundation for living a life of faith and living grateful lives today. And the opposite is true. Forgetting the Lord in disbelief in his person and work is the quickest way to rebellion. And so David draws us to the past. Secondly, remember the past. Remember the Lord. Remember the past. And David's point is in verses 8 and 10, remember the lesson of the past that Israel learned. Psalm 95 is known as a historical psalm because it draws a lesson from Israel's history. In verses 8 through 10, an event in Israel's past is recounted. The people's journey from the Red Sea crossing to Mount Sinai brought them to a little place, a little town by the name of Rephidim. They camped there, and Moses named that place Meribah and Massa. And as Israel was there camped at Rephidim, that's recorded in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 1. I want to ask us a question. What represented their past? God had brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, Exodus chapter 7 through 13. He had brought the people safely through the Red Sea crossing and subsequently destroyed their enemy in the waters of the Red Sea, Exodus 14 through chapter 15, verse 21. And God had graciously provided water and bread or manna for his people as they journeyed to Mount Sinai, Exodus 15, 22 through 17. That's what represented Israel's past, a fairly recent past. You would think, that they would not have forgotten what God had done just in the recent past. Having benefited from these miraculous provisions from the hand of God, they failed to remember his provisions. How do we know they failed to remember his provisions? They grumbled. They complained. They got upset with Moses, and ultimately they got upset with God. Just read Exodus 17, 1 through 7. And what was the reason for the, their complaint? They had no water. 
And the psalmist calls upon God's people to learn from that generation's rebellion at that moment. They're doubting God. They're disbelief in God. They're doubting God's faithfulness. They're rejecting God and his promises and provisions and commitments to care for them. No, the people had totally forgotten that that the Lord was their shepherd. And the lesson is for us to learn from Israel's past rebellion at Meribah and Massa and lacking faith and so quickly forgetting the recent past and God's marvelous provisions. Let us remember that such rebellion is disbelief and let us remember so that we will not forget his past provisions and faithfulness. And like the people at Rephidim, grumble against God, complain against God, act as though God never did anything in Egypt, God never brought them out of Egypt, God never parted the Red Sea, God never destroyed the enemy, and God had never provided water or bread for them at all. That God had just simply left them. That's, that's, that's how they acted in their disbelief and rebellion against God. And dear friend, do we act in such a way where we could be charged with the same? Third, As we remember the Lord, who he is and what he has done, as we remember this lesson from the past, how are we to respond today? A philosopher, uh, George Santayana, wrote in Life of Reason in 1905, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. In verse 8, David instructs us to respond in this way. What does he say? Do not harden your hearts like they did in Exodus 17 at Rephidim. To harden one's heart is, is to make it dull and unresponsive towards God. To disbelieve is just another way to understand it. So David used this past episode recounted in Exodus 17 as a reminder to the subsequent generations of Israelites and to us today of Israel's failure so that we might strive not to repeat it. Do not harden your hearts like they did on the way to Mount Sinai after being redeemed from bondage in Egypt. I hope you see the irony of that. Further, the lesson in verse 9, if you do harden your heart, you will be putting God to the test. You will be demanding that God prove himself in the present that he is trustworthy. And the end of of verse 9 shows the depth of Israel's unbelief. God had proved himself faithful time and time again Over Israel's history, God had redeemed them from bondage in Egypt. And the people did not remember it. 
It didn't register on their heart. And we would say, how could Israel test God after walking on dry ground through the Red Sea? How on earth could they test God just a short time later at Rephidim? Do you get that? The same people who walked and saw the water piled back and the river and the, the seabed was dry, they passed through. Now it is as if that never happened. They are grumbling and complaining against God. Again, might this describe you and me? And David says, remember, don't repeat this. Don't put God to the test. In verse 10, we find why the people then and why we now put God to the test. Why we so quickly turn to hard hearts and not remembering all that he has done for us. Not remembering who he is that we can trust him. And in verse 10, we find that, yeah, God is our God and we are his sheep. And here David says, and God's sheep have a tendency to go astray. And notice what he says, in their hearts. They go astray by forgetting God, who he is, the Lord. And they go astray by forgetting God's record in the past. His wondrous works, verse 9, that have been done. Even in the recent past, Red Sea Crossing. And this is part of the reason that God disciplined that generation. As we read about in Numbers 14, he imposed this 40 years of wilderness wandering so that entire adult generation might die out except for Joshua and Caleb before allowing them into the promised land. And in verse 11, when, when David says, my rest, that is equivalent to the promised land. That is what he is referring to. God has proven faithful time and time again to me. And I have to admit that my response is at times forgetting what God has done and who God is. I am that sheep who so quickly goes astray. I fail to remember the Lord and his gracious provisions in the past, I so quickly become anxious and complain and grum grumble in the present because I have forgotten the past. And I have forgotten to remember who I know the Lord is from his word. These are signs of disbelief and rebellion that, that are festering in our souls. These are signs that say, hey, you're you're more like the Israelites at Rephidim than you care than you care to admit. So have I discouraged you enough? Are you discouraged? What is the antidote? Do 
we've got to see the reality of what's going on in this psalm in order to see the glory of what we have in our good shepherd. Psalm 95 is the antidote. Psalm 95 is the antidote for sheep who go astray in disbelief. It caused me to remember the Lord, to jolt me out of my anxiety, to jolt me out of my complaining and grumbling spirit, to remember who God is, and to remember the lesson from Israel's history at Rephidim when they hardened their hearts, and and to remember his gracious works and provisions in human history in our personal history that we might respond in not hardening our hearts in disbelief. The writer of Hebrews, the passage Bruce read earlier, quotes from Psalm 95, as Bruce said, and I'll just remind us of the last, uh, just a few verses from Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews says, take care, brothers. What he's saying is, Take care that you learn the lesson from Psalm 95. (laughs) Don't repeat what those Israelites do. Remember who the Lord is. Remember what the Lord has done. Remember God's gracious provisions in human history and in your life. And respond in faith and with overflowing gratitude. And so Hebrews... 3, 12 through 14 and verse 19 say this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you or in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we see that they were unable to enter, that is, enter that rest because of unbelief. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, even when we do go astray into disbelief, when we are not grateful but grumblers, because of being in Christ, we will be brought to see, to remember who the Lord is, to remember this lesson from Israel's history, to remember the gracious provisions of God throughout human history and our own personal history, that we would be brought back to that place of faith with gratitude. And here Hebrews calls us to respond by firmly embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember God, he's trustworthy. He is Yahweh. He is the Redeemer, the Transcendent Creator, the Good Shepherd. Remember the Lord. We can trust Him. Remember that God's people go astray in disbelief. Learn and relearn the lessons of Israel's past to show us how we must respond in the present. Remember that God's people are shown grace and enabled to respond in faith and grateful worship. So much as Psalm 95 
at least the first part, verses 1 through 7, is about worship. Let us sing. Let us come into his presence. And God is gracious to enable us by faith to worship him and to do so with much thanksgiving. And we have that hope that one day we will enter my rest. We already, in part, live in that rest today in the Lord Jesus Christ. But ultimately, one day, we will enter that rest in full. Not the land of Canaan, but the place of heaven, the true Jerusalem. Remember the Lord. Remember the lessons of the past. And respond in faith by not repeating them, but rather worship and coming into his presence, living before him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95 calls us to remember in order that we might grow in faith today and overflow with thanksgiving to God today. A couple of summers ago, Renee and I stood at the foot of a grave in one of the oldest cemeteries in the country. The cemeteries in South Hamilton, Massachusetts, where we attended seminary well over 30-some years ago. We remember the painful past. We remember the date, February 1986 when we buried our first child, Megan Renee. We recounted the pain, but more God's faithfulness to us, his provisions, his goodness, his comfort, his grace, his presence. Our faith in God was strengthened that day. Remembering the past strengthens faith today. And remembering the past caused us to overflow with thanksgiving in the present. David says, remember. What must you remember in your life? Painful, joyful, it matters not. But remember when God provided for you. Remember that for today that you might be strengthened in your faith and today that you might more and more overflow with thanksgiving. Remember who God is, what God has done. Remember the lessons of rebellious Israel and endeavor not to repeat history. Remember how God was faithful to you throughout your days and maybe in one particular circumstance. Remember God's faithfulness that today you might be faithful and that we might be faithful and overflow with thanksgiving. May we remember the Lord. May we remember the rebellious lesson of Israel. May we remember God.
God's gracious provisions that we might trust him, thank him, and enter what he calls my rest. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for your provisions throughout the ages. You are the Lord. You are Yahweh. You are creator. You are redeemer. You are our good shepherd. Though we're prone to go astray, oh Lord, you're so faithful to bring us back. You will leave the 99 and go after the one. And I pray, Father, that we would trust you that we would not test you. We have no need to test you. You have proven yourself faithful time and time again throughout world history and in our own personal lives. Lord, bring us to that place of, of being reminded to remember who you are, what you've done, how gracious you have been, how you've provided for us, that today we might trust you more and thank you more. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.